This week on A Lively Experiment, before we put 2023 in the books, a look back at the highs and the lows. And we get the panel's predictions for next year. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us with the analysis, Wendy Schiller, Brown University political science professor, Ian Donis, political reporter for the Publix Radio, and retired URI political science professor, Maureen Moakley. Welcome into this week's Lively. I'm Jim Hummel, and we are happy to have you with us for one of my favorite shows of the year. Settle in while we take a stroll down memory lane over the next half hour as our panel offers up its observations and analysis on the key moments that affected those of us who live and work here. And it wouldn't be a year in review without those only in Rhode Island moments. We'll get to those momentarily. Ian, let's begin with you. You all have these topics tattooed on your head. Top local story for 2023. Philadelphia fiasco. Two Rhode Island officials went to Philadelphia to check out a company interested in developing the Cranston Street Armory. One of the officials in particular was accused of behaving badly in a harassing and inappropriate manner. He left his state job. Rhode Island got a ton of bad publicity from it. It was a black eye for the state, and it's my only and it's my uh, top Rhode Island story of the year. I also think the corollary to that was there was kind of an open records fight because uh, Peter Nerona ruled that that email, which really kind of gave us all the details about it, the governor wasn't inclined to let that release that. Excellent point. Uh, shows another, you know, kind of uh, subtext of the conflicts we've seen between Attorney General Nerona and Governor McKee. And Governor uh, Attorney General Nerona did come out on the side of the public interest in that. And we got a lot of the important information about what is said to have happened. Maureen, what do you have for the top local story? Mine is the CD1 race. I think we had a lot of publicity about that. I think, um, you know, there was a lot of coverage, a lot of interest. And the result was really interesting in that we had the first African-American elected to the Congress. And it was interesting because he carried all but three of the cities and towns. So I think it was, there was an interesting dynamic as far as the um, primary was concerned. And I also think that, um, I think it's very interesting. It was always a very interesting story, and um, I'm happy. I'm, you know, happy to say that we have a, an African American as part of our contingent. Yeah, and I also think if it had been Aaron Regenberg or Sabina Matos, there might people might be lining up to run now. It'll be interesting to see if there's any opposition to Gabe Amal exactly. in the That's next good. cycle. Yep. Wendy, what do you have for top local well, story? Well, I, I actually thought that the election of Gabe Amo was the uh, uh, top story, uh, the first person of color to be in the Rhode Island delegation. Uh, but there's a lot of subtext that's important nationally for that story going to 24, which is the defeat of a very progressive candidate, Aaron Regenberg, and also um, a woman of color. Uh, who was considered to be more moderate. Uh, and then, of course, Sandra Cano as well. So it shows you that the Latino um, voting bloc uh, and set of candidates is not monolithic at all. It's important for the Democrats to keep in mind and the Republicans in 2024. And that women still, you know, can really um, zero each other out. In other words, that, you know, when multiple capable women run in a race uh, and then maybe one, one or two men, you know, the women don't share the spoils. In other words, they have a harder time winning. So I think there are 
lessons for especially the Democratic Party going into primary season for 24 to take from that CD1 race? But let's face it, it was really the signature gathering controversy that undermined Sabina Matos's campaign. She might have run a lot stronger had that not happened and that really severely damaged her campaign. And maybe Aaron Regenberg getting endorsed by Bernie Sanders and AOC, that didn't fly with the moderates. No, no, that was a mistake. I mean, I think it really stepped out. I talked to David Cicilline about this after the race, and he talked about the fact that he was very liberal, but he had been there for so long, people just sort of went along with it. Mm -hmm. But in terms of a, 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 an election time, I think he moved a little too far to the left. All right, let's go to top national uh, story. Maureen, let's begin with you. Well, so many, but I'll start with the dysfunction in the Congress and particularly among the GOP. This has been a terrible year in terms of politics on the Hill. The Congress is just about, you know, immobilized because of this. And some of the issues we talked about that, that are, they're fo focusing on, there's a lot of revenge politics, the absurdity of having all these, you know, elections and failures of speakers of the House. I think, I think that was the top story. Wendy, what do you have? Um, I think the economy is the top story. I think the economy, the American economy, most of the time is, is much more resilient than anybody ever sees it as being. And the balance between, let's say, taxes, interest rates, personal debt is going up. But thinking about the shift from manufacturing to service and tech and, and the future transition to AI and the concerns about that. But this economy has really rolled over and changed um, really um, in a way that's dynamic. Why isn't Biden getting credit for that? Though? Well, because the Democrats are historically bad at messaging. I mean, they're just constantly bad at messaging. And they get, they, they've interceded, meaning they have like fights that swallow them up. And also, the news has really been driven by the Republicans. Their dysfunction in the House has been the single biggest story of 2023. And then you layer Trump running again on top of that. There's almost no airtime. Uh, and then people are discouraged by world news. But, you know, the economy, and that is partly due to Biden's policies, partly due to the Federal Reserve. But the nature of the American economy since the Great Recession seems to be more diversified and more resilient than anybody expects. And gas is under almost under $3. Right. A gallon, mm -hmm. but inflation is going to be that brick because but it's inflation really, has been coming down for well, five coming months da in well, a row. Coming down uh, on the increases, it's not. It, I mean, we're still ten percent over where we were, and another it, the, the prices are sure decreasing. It, well, no, but I mean, in some case, gas is decreasing, right? And and fuel, oil was supposed to go skyrocketing, is not you know getting any higher. Um, and so, yes, but the idea of inflation, things will inflate. As the economy is doing well and people have more money, things will get inflated. You can live with 2 or 3%. You can't live with 6 or 7%. Right. Ian, what do you have, top national? My top national story is what we might call our new age of anxiety with the conflict between the Israelis and Hamas in Gaza, the ongoing war in Ukraine, the threat of climate change, the presidential race looking like Biden and Trump barreling toward us as we head toward 2024, the sense of uncertainty and anxiety that many Americans feel. And that could be top international story, right. too, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, either way. All right, let's go to uh, biggest winner and biggest loser. We will combine those. Wendy, let's begin with you. For locally or nationally? You can, it's your choice. It's, uh, mm -hmm. it's a panelist choice. Um, the biggest winner in 2024 is Donald Trump because he's still in the game. He's under indictment everywhere. He has state indictments, civil indictments. He's got trials everywhere. Um, and he is still able to rally some portion of his party 
uh, and resist all other sort of obstacles in his way. He hasn't secured the nomination yet. He's not the nominee yet. But that he is still in the mix is really, you know, sort of stunning. Well, he's painted himself as the martyr, hasn't right. he? I'm taking all these burdens on for you. Um, whatever way, I don't even know that the people who adore Trump listen to anything that he says anymore. I think they just feel like their team lost in 2020 and they want revenge and they want to win in 24. Do you have a biggest loser? Wendy? Biggest loser, to me, uh, it's consistent with me. The biggest loser are all of the victims of gun violence in America. Uh, we had the highest rate of children uh, killed by gun, uh, that, um, you know, that we, in terms of data recording that we've had in a very long time. We continue to have really horrific mass shootings. I think the, why we live this way is perpetually my question, because we all lose when we have this kind of unrestricted access to weapons of war. Biggest winner, biggest loser. My biggest winner is Gabe Amo. When 2023 began, no one could really expect that David Cicilline would follow Jim Langevin on, in leaving Congress. There was a huge field of Democrats who tried to uh, succeed Cicilline. Uh, there were questions about whether Amo would be able to get enough name recognition and convey his message enough to win. But he had a very decisive win considering the size of the field. And he's seen as having a very bright future in politics for many years to come. So he's my big winner. My loser is Elon Musk. Musk has done some brilliant things with sa satellites and rockets, but he just can't get out of his own way. He has a huge chip on his shoulder from when he was picked on as a kid. He is severely devalued. My favorite social media platform, <laughs> X, formerly known as Twitter, and uh, he's running it into the ground to the detriment of public information and many people who find real value in using it, you know, he should just be able to have a little more self-awareness heading into 2024. Biggest winner, biggest loser, Marie. Well, I, obviously, Gabe Amo was the biggest winner, but uh, beside that, the firemen, the firemen here, the firemen's contract, the disability contract, I mean, they always win. And so, the, the so they pres it's presumed now that if you have high blood pressure, yeah, then that yeah, can be, lead to a disability yeah. pension, no matter any other factors. Right, exactly. And I think, you know, unfortunately, McKee signed that bill, and it's going to reverberate in terms of cities and towns. But beyond Gabe Amo, I would say that the biggest winner were the firemen that I could think of. The biggest loser, I had Aaron Regenberg, and I mean this in a sympathetic way, because he has a, was a really talented guy. He was a good representative. He moved too far to the left. But, you know, he was, a, he was a capable leader, and I wish him well. But unfortunately, it was a big loss. Do you think he wakes up the day after the primary and think? I mean, after Sabina Maddow shot, shot herself in the foot, he was the presumed front runner. And Amo even positioned himself. I'm number two, which gave people, hey, I'm within striking distance. Do you think he replays that in his mind? Like, what went wrong? I'm sure. I mean, I think you said, we said it, bringing <coughs> Bernie Sanders in. And as I said, you know, David Cicilline said to me that, when you're in a campaign like that, you can't be as liberal. Once you get in there and you have, you know, you have some constituent service under your belt in a couple of years, then you can go off. But in, as far as the campaign was concerned, I think he made a big mistake, and I think it's unfortunate. But the, there's a likability factor. Gabe Amo is a very likable guy. Yeah, And true. he also did a tremendous amount of basic retail politics, mm. you know, really everywhere all the time. Uh, and I think Aaron Regenberg... Um, you know, uh, people thought, what, he jumped the line, you know, he sort of got out there too quickly. Mm -hmm. And being, I think, being liberal, but also I think it was time, you know, Rhode Island is a very diverse state, and Providence in particular has become much more diverse in terms of, of different ethnic and nationality.
personalities, and people thought it's time not to have an all-white delegation to Congress. It doesn't represent the state anymore. So, you know, there I are I think African-American and moderate. African-American or, or Latino or, you know, whatever it is, there was a momentum for that, and he took advantage of it. I think Final that's thought? true. Okay. I think it's true. Uh, only in Rhode Island moment. We, uh, we promise, let's deliver. What do you have, Ian? My only in Rhode Island moment is how we experienced a major infrastructure failure in the last month of 2020. Very timely. <laughs> yeah, about uh, you know six years after Governor Raimondo had launched roadworks to improve the state's large percentage of deficient bridges. And uh, this is something that Rhode Islanders are not going to forget anytime soon. Well, and the, the irony is, is that this has overshadowed a lot of what we've always thought about infrastructure. The reality, if you go anywhere in the state. I never thought the Wampanoag Trail would be would be paved in my lifetime. And so you look at all the bridge work, and it's too bad because that undercuts, I think, a lot of the work that the, the DOT has been doing more work the last seven Absolutely. years. Yeah. So only in Rhode Island moment? My only in Rhode Island moment is that we have fire districts <coughs> and we have firemen that don't put out fires. What they do in South County is they prevent people at the will of the private property owners from accessing the beach. That's their big job. And that, I think, is an, definitely an only in Rhode Island story. The other one I just have to mention is this year, Frank Caprio lit the, fi lit the lights on the big blue bug. There you go. Okay. And no greater honor. Maureen, have they ever asked you? That's like, I've always said, you haven't made it in this state unless Charlie Hall does a, uh, a cartoon on you or you're featured in your local paper. And maybe the big blue bug is the third one. Mm -hmm. Wendy, what do you have? Only in Rhode Island moment. Well, I mean, I, I had a couple of moments. One, I did think that um, the primary for CD1 with so many people running, I mean, there's some there's some states that have that, but there were so many qualified people running. What are you, 17, 12? Yeah, it was, it was, there were so many. And I thought that seems only in Rhode Island because it's such a small state. Um, so, but I also thought that in terms of beach access, you know, you have lawsuits in California, but you don't usually have fist fights or hitting people with umbrellas or intimidating people. And or we had, fire, fire know, districts. Right, right. I mean, you're having a conflict over a family sitting on the beach in front of your house. I mean, that is a very Rhode Island thing. And, um, and I thought that whole conflict was unfortunate. And I just think that's Rhode Island. And we had a super rainy summer. And I feel like Rhode Islanders were extra cranky going into that primary <laughs> because it had rained all summer. Now, for no other reason, but because it had rained all summer. Yeah, if we're going to put up with the winters, we might as well have a good summer. Yeah. The other thing about a congressional district, too, it literally is only in Rhode Island. Can you win with 13, 15,000 votes and mm -hmm. spend under a million dollars to get a congressional seat? Mm -hmm. So, all right, this is the time we like. We're racking up the tape. We're going to go back and look at the predictions for this year for 2023. We'll see how our panel did, and then we'll get their predictions for 2024. Professor Moakley, we're going to begin with you. Let's roll the tape on Maureen's prediction. All what right. do you have for 2020? Okay, I think Trump is going down. I think he's going to be indicted. I, that, you know, I, that's my feel there. Trumpism may stay in the, the, the form of Ron, Ron DeSantis in Florida, but I think he's going to lose. I don't think he's going to be the nominee. Uh, and conversely, for Biden, I think he's going to be remembered very well for his presidency. However, I predict he's not going to run again. I predict he doesn't want to be a lame duck. He doesn't want to start too early. But I think in the end, he's going to bow out. It's a delicate balance because if you say now I'm not running, then are you a lame duck? But then if you get out too late, then it doesn't allow the Democrat. I mean, that's a, yeah, yeah. That's a tough yeah, call. It's a tough time. call. But I think he's not going to run. I'll okay. predict he's not going to run. 
Okay, so a mixed prediction there. And and the question is, do you really think Biden is still going to run? I know we're getting closer, but some people still have doubts. I don't know. They may have doubts, but I think he's going to run. It's too late for him to get out. He's really already committed. And he really is now. He's changed his campaign. He's going after Trump very aggressively. So I think he's in the race, definitely. What do you have prediction for 2024? My prediction for 2024 at the local level is we're going to have a good year. I think we're going to be fiscally sound. I also think, I think there's going to be some prosperity. And I also think, thanks to our federal and our state legislature, that we're going to have some good policy options and some good politics going on. We have in Rhode Island um, the least polarized state legislature in the country. And I think with Shikarchi at the heel, at the wheel, I think it's going to be a good year as far as policy concerned, and I think it's going to be a good year as far as prosperity. At the at the international level, it's going to be a crisis of multi proportions as far as the war in Israel and Hamas, as far as the fighting with the Russians and the war in Ukraine, uh, and the problems on the border. Um, the the, the Biden's got to get an immigration deal. But I really think those kinds of things are going to be really serious and important. All right. Let's go to Wendy's prediction for 2023. Roll it. My prediction for 2023. First of all, the economy. We will have a mild recession, if at all. I think the economy will remain resilient. Uh, Unemployment will stay low, and I think we will weather whatever storm people thought were coming. I don't think it's going to materialize. At the national level, politically, the Republicans in the House of Representatives will overreach. Speaker McCarthy will owe his right-wing flank a lot. They're going to want to go after Hunter Biden. They're going to want to have to go to the Biden administration. Meanwhile, in the Senate, which will be controlled by the Democrats, President Biden will see the rest of his judicial nominees confirmed in the federal court system, and he will overtake Donald Trump in how many judges he gets confirmed in the next year. At the state level, I think the state will appeal the truck toll case, but I think they'll lose in court, and they'll have to revisit this issue in the legislature and expand tolls to all trucks if they want to continue to fund infrastructure in Rhode Island. So, Wendy, you mostly got that right. The truck tolls, we still don't know. Uh, we've kept ta- we've talked about this on the show. The federal uh, judges, what, where, what's the tally now? So Biden had fallen slightly behind Donald Trump. And, and this also has to do with vacancies. You know, we have vacancies at the district court level, the appeals court level, and, of course, the Supreme Court level. So Biden had fallen behind, but now in the last couple of weeks, the Senate confirmed more of Biden's judicial nominees. So um, he is doing certainly almost, almost quite as well as Trump and probably will. He's got a whole other year left. So I think that he will exceed Trump. I'm still you know, going, going for that prediction. Uh, and I think the Senate has learned with Tommy Tuberville, senator from Alabama, blocking military propos- you know, promotions for 10 months. Um, and there were 400 of those promotions. I think the appetite for you know, having these things stalled continuously, uh, I think it's getting less and less in the Senate. And, and the Biden administration may have to nominate people who are more moderate, but I think it's getting less and less because they, a lot of people are running in 2024. They want to look like they're doing something. And the Great Recession that never came. 
the recession that never came. What and do you think I, about the? So let's dovetail into 24. What do you think about? Yeah, I mean, the I think the biggest, uh, you know, the biggest cost to the Biden administration is not capitalizing on the fact that this country did not go into a recession this year and that nobody's predicting it. I think for Rhode Island, going into just the future for Rhode Island, I think the housing crisis that Scarch is trying to address, coupled with the fact that there's almost no inventory and the prices are skyrocketing everywhere, really could be calamitous for Rhode Island because we want to attract newer people to come here and young people. There's not enough housing downtown yet. There's a lot of potential, but that's not going to come to fruition for five years. We don't have any place for people to come and live and afford to live who want to come work here and repopulate our downtown um, among other places in the state. Do you have a prediction for 2024? A prediction? Um, I predict, um, go out on a limb here, I predict that Kamala Harris will not be the candidate alongside Joe Biden for president really? in 2024. Really? She'll stay yeah. vice president. But I think those poll numbers could get very, very difficult for Biden in, a, in some key swing states. And he might turn to someone like either Gretchen Whitmer, who's been reluctant, but very popular in Michigan, or Raphael Warnock of Georgia. There's nobody on the ticket in Georgia in 2024, or, and that's a real problem for the Democrats. There's no African-American on the ticket. And if he were on the ticket, um, you'd lose a Senate seat, potentially. However, you would gain turnout. You might win Georgia, win Michigan. You'd win Pennsylvania, potentially. I think it would drive African-American voters up to the polls. And you could even be more competitive in Ohio. So I see Biden, if things don't turn around by early spring, making a change. And by the way, he can still, the Democratic Party can still nominate somebody other than Biden at the convention. So you have until the convention and then states print their ballots. So if the state, um, if you get that nominee done that's not Biden before the convention's over, in other words, you nominate somebody else, those state ballots will get printed with a new name. He's having a hard enough time with progressives now. What are the optics of dropping an African-American woman from the well, ticket? If you replace uh, Kamala Harris for African-American voters with Raphael Warnock, who's compelling, uh, can win other states, is very progressive, I don't think you suffer at all. You want a word on that? I, don't, I, I disagree there. I mean, I think she, she had checks all those boxes. And it's very interesting to me that her profile has changed. They're pushing her out there. She's going on f all the foreign trips. She's the one that's there. So I think at this point, Biden is solidly behind her. And I, I just don't see him dropping her. But uh, Wendy's good or better at projection, no. so we'll see uh, next well, year. Well, I will hold you to it because yeah. we got the tape. All right, let's go to Ian Donis. Let's uh, see his prediction for 2023. Uh, in terms of looking at next year, even with the repudiation of the merger between Lifespan and Care New England, we see how they are continuing to work more closely together with Brown University. On a related note, I think the Jewelry District will continue to become a more desirable neighborhood. Is this your uh, prediction for 2023? It is. All right, it, just it, want to make sure it, we have you on the record. It is. Oh, okay. as, as Brown continues to expand there, uh, the Providence City Council will move in a more progressive direction with a lot of turnover. And I think we'll see more communities use more of these kind of speed camps cameras and plate readers as a way to enhance their revenue. That's a full plate. See, if you have more, you have a chance. Actually, you have a chance to be right or wrong, depending on which way. Check, check, check. That was good.
It's, okay. it's going to be hard to replicate, and I'm not going to go out on a limb with my first prediction, but right, uh, 2024 will feature legislative elections in Rhode Island. I think the partisan makeup of the General Assembly will, will remain much as it is now, with Republicans holding only nine of 113 seats between the House and the Senate. I think the national GOP has been kind of a drag on the fortunes of Republicans here in Rhode Island, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. One other prediction, I think the state is very slowly starting to come to terms with some of the long-term challenges it faces in terms of health care and hospitals. Attorney General Peter Nerona has been banging a drum on that. The uh, sale will get more consideration in 2024. The uh, centurion out of Georgia is looking to buy the parent of Roger Williams Medical Center in Providence and Fatima Hospital in North Providence, two big employers and two big local taxpayers and they are getting starved for money right now by their current owner. So I think you will start to see state officials pay some more attention to this with the Rodan Foundation doing a study on possible solutions to some of Rodan's long-term health challenges. All right. You may notice that one of our longtime panelists with the year-ender, Dave Lehman, is not joining us. He is traveling and with his family. So we wanted to go back and look at his prediction from last year. And then we can talk about him because he's not here. We'll talk about him instead of to him. Here's Dave's prediction. What about 2023, Dave? I'm going to pick up on what I said there. Uh, and I'll be brief. Uh, I think, and people think I'm crazy for predicting this, I think within this year, uh, 2023, Donald Trump is going to be criminally charged. I don't, I don't, he won't go to trial by then, but he'll probably get nailed because of the uh, secret documents that he took out of the White House. But I think this will be the year he is going to be charged. And how do you think that affects his campaign? Because he's announced already that he's running for president. And that's going to be a problem for the Justice Department because they, they don't want to look like they're being political. But I'll tell you what, I think uh, bringing in uh, this new special uh, counsel, uh, they're, they're on a track to move forward on this. And I think you might even see him charge within the next month or so. Okay, we have just a couple of minutes left. Let's go to people to watch in 2024. Maureen, let's start with you. Well, Helena Fox is one, I think, and the other one, our Gina at the national level. Our there Gina. she is, there she is. We you know, knew her way. Yeah, across from the Chinese delegation. Um, she's someone to watch too. Might she be on that VP list or she doesn't bring enough to the table? Um, I don't think she. I don't think you trade Kamala Harris for Gina Raimondo just strategically. I don't think that brings you swing state victories. So I don't think that happens. I actually think the person to watch that I'm watching is Gabe Amo. You know, he's done well so far. He had a little bit of a hiccup, you know, with signing a letter, not signing a letter, uh, signing, voting for resolutions. But he handled that, I think, well. And so I'm really curious because I agree uh, with both of you that if he can sort of really uh, make an impression by March or April, I don't think he gets primary challenged. So I think this is the big thing. I'm watching for the next couple of months. How does he navigate and how does he shore up his victory by building on that and warding off primary challengers? Great. Ian, who are you looking at? My person to watch is House Speaker Joe Shikarchi. He's proven a very agile political player. He has a huge political campaign account. He says the speakership is not, in his view, a terminal political office. So he is well worth keeping an eye on. 
Were you surprised that he didn't run for either a congressional seat, or you think he's just Biden? Is I was not surprised. Why give up being perhaps the most powerful political official in Rhode Island to be the most junior member of Congress? I, I could see how it was tempting. Uh, being a federal official is no small thing, but I think he made a strategic choice. All right, folks, it is a quick show, and boy, it has been a quick year. So we're going to take all these predictions, and we'll put them in the vault. We'll dust them off, and we'll uh, re-roll them next year. Ian and Maureen and Wendy, thank you so much for all of your contributions. Folks, we appreciate your loyalty to this show. We love bringing it to you every week. We are always there to bring you the latest and the analysis. So uh, we hope you have great holiday seasons. We will be off next week, and then we'll be back with a reporter's roundtable the first week in January, people who cover the State House with their predictions, and then the legislative show the, year, uh, the week after that. So we have a packed 2024 coming up. We'll hope you join us as the Lively Experiment continues. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazen-White, Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.